0: i just got to thinking that uh, i don't know did any of you guys have kids involved in the summer camp here at the church they they did it on missions and um i don't i didn't see all of the videos but they had some videos i saw the bakers in africa which Catherine's soon to launch out when are you going august 16th august 16th she's going to go for uh-huh. start with 3 months that's 3 months <laughs> And, and, uh, just be a nanny, I guess, for, uh, the bakers. Is that right? Yeah, just... yeah. I mean, that's really exciting to me that, um, that she would take time off from her career to do that. And, you know, so it just shows the emphasis of, of missions that her mom and dad have. And, and, um, you know, just, uh, again, the, the video that I saw from the youth camp that the bakers put together was, it was fantastic, you know, and I'm sure the others were equally as well done, um. My wife, however, you can tell uh, Kyle and Maya this when you get there, that she, Grandma Mode kicked in when she saw the video. You know, there's Kyle and Rayner on a scooter with an African guy driving it. <laughs> no helmets, you know, and Rainer's just looking around, and kid's like, oh, my gosh, that child doesn't have a helmet on. And neither does Kyle, for that matter, and then the next seen they bouncing down the road in their car and you know Maya's got babies in her labs and Rainer's in the middle no seat belts on anybody you know and Kit's just like oh my gosh yes sir wear a when you rode your bike? no <laughs> hey guess what though I've got a bike now and I've got uh I guess my wife's more of a uh let me see how to say it kindly um supervisor of me than my mom was because i can't ride my bike now at almost 70 without a helmet but i did as a child i don't even know they had bike helmets when i was a kid they had motorcycle helmets or football helmet you could wear but but uh anyway so you know i just thought it'd be great this morning if the cooks were back i didn't know i just asked him as he walked in the door if you know if he would share about their trip and about just the relationship uh, that we have with the brackets and, and you know all of our missionaries and, and how we uh, handle missions as a church. The the uh, Honduras team left yesterday, so you can be praying for them. There was some civil unrest in the capital, um, but uh, Carlos assured us that um, that where they are, they everybody would be okay. But you know we never know. But so just to. To cap that all off before Randy comes up, I'm going to read Matthew 28:16 through 20, which, of course, is very familiar to all of us. And uh, I'm sure in everybody's Bible, no matter what translation you have above verse 16, is the three words, the Great Commission, right? And verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit and of the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And you know, there's again where our hope comes from when we go and do this is that, that Jesus is there with us. Right. And, that's, that has really encouraged me in just even sharing the gospel here locally, knowing that, that Jesus is with us, you know. And if that's the case, then what's our responsibility, right? Just to be sharers of the good news of how he's changed our life. There's one thing. People can doubt God all they want and, and talk bad about it. And all, but There's one thing that nobody can dispute. And that's a changed life, you know, and each of us that have tasted that know what it's like, you know. And so you can say all you want about our God, but I know one thing. He changed me, right? And and that's that can be true for everybody. So with that, I'll let Randy come up. And um, uh, you can as well, if you would like, after you talk about um, the... Um, The ministry that you guys did, you stayed extra and did some personal stuff with the brackets. There's something that a lot of people don't realize is, and the brackets are are coming back at some point. You can fill us in on that as well. But our missionaries don't need us over there all the time just grinding out, doing ministry with them. You know what? They need us, right? They need us as brothers and sisters to to go to the coast or to out dinner or... you know it's not all about um because they're they get lonely as well you know and, and even though they've got dear dear friends that they'll spend all of eternity with in in those places as well so all right so you can put this on okay. thank you
1: okay well as i walked in the door tim asked if i could do this so it means one of two things that I'll probably exhaust all that I remember in five minutes and we'll have a Q&A that'll last the rest. Or I may go on, I could go on for an hour and a half, two hours if the Lord floods the the experience back. But yeah, a tremendous experience as we always have had when we go. And there's so much to say about how the Lord has really directed our church in its philosophy of ministry as well as missions. Because uh, there's so many ways you can... Uh, do work on the mission field as a church. Uh, there's really no right way, perfect way, but the Lord was so faithful to kind of guide us in our philosophy to establish some principles that we wanted to prioritize that then were kind of the, the way that we uh, rode the rails of sorts as the Lord grew our ministry. If you, you know, We've been around 26 years now as a church, Um, We at first had really no missionary relationships, uh, but Chris and Nina Brackett were really some of the first missionaries we met through the network of Master's Seminary uh, and some other relationships. And At the time, we were working with Word of Life Ministries in Hungary, and we were just participating in a youth-type camp, but we were just participants. We weren't really um, guiding the ministry, directing the ministry. And that just kind of led to us connecting with the brackets in Croatia. They are coming home for good, coming off the mission field after, you know, really 25 years of moving their life to Krapina, Croatia, um, just 45 minutes north of Zagreb. And, And many of you know, this is where I'm going to go on for an hour and a half. So many of you know it was former Yugoslavia, which we learned this past week meant all Serbs, Right. All Slavs, because uh, it was a communist country, but not with the Soviet Union. It was an independent communist state with uh, Tito. I forget his first name. He he was a well-known leader, but really corrupt and uh, a dictator of sorts. So when he died, uh, there was a lot of unrest, uncertainty. And then that's when each of the, the gathering countries within that Yugoslavia, which I think is like six countries, including Serbia and Croatia and then Bosnia um, and helped me with Montenegro. So the gathering of these, well, when these countries started applying for independence is when the war broke out in 1991. And and coincidentally, I was in uh, Belgrade, Serbia in 1990, serving uh, just with Campus Crusade for Christ, just doing evangelism. And we always used to say when we came out of there, we really caused the war. We just stirred up so much controversy with our ministry that it just it just started a war. Uh, obviously, not the case. But uh, so going back to Croatia was was a great opportunity to serve the brackets. Um, he was there basically. Again, uh, um, it's good to have the history. Because they're coming back, they're members of our church, they're coming back in our fellowship and and obviously they feel the love in this church, they see this church as their family, uh, but um, it'll be interesting to see how they transition. It's not an easy transition. He uh, in talking to him a few times in the past two weeks, you know really has mixed emotions, being torn, uh, all their children were born in croatia well i mean two of them were born here but they were living in croatia so their whole lives have been in croatia so they grow up speaking croatian and english now two of them have come back for university and both have gotten married uh you know gabby and daniel kucha and then uh, gracie and connor and i forget their last name scott who have just moved here from california so we're such a privilege to have them in our church family now locally. And we'll utilize his gifts uh, in continuing to develop our missions, uh, ministry. Uh, he'll still be working with uh, as a missionary with uh, the uh, kind of a governing body over um, the ministry they've been a part of. Um, but uh, trying to develop that relationship, Without having really supported any missionaries, was critical for us because it helped us establish our priorities. Because you can think, you know, as Tim read the Great Commission, we just need to go and share the gospel. And if you're if you're not intimidated by that, and you have the the boldness to do it, then uh, by the Lord's grace, hopefully the Spirit will bless that. But you really need a plan, and you need a philosophy behind that because too many missions efforts, especially with the International Mission Board, which we have supported for years with Southern Baptists, because of the the broad stretch of their ministry and the resources they have and the the good work they have done. In some of these uh, uh, more needed countries, they really have not established long-term philosophy of ministry because they'll go in and want to share the gospel, see men converted, men and women converted, and then put these men in leadership without really investing and discipling and training and equipping, and then calling them leaders in churches. And it just left them vulnerable to bad doctrine, uh, not being able to defend sound doctrine. And and nowhere worse has that happened than in Kenya, unfortunately, which is why we're thankful to be working with the Indenos and that training center there Um, because there's a lot of work to be done there. But this is true all over Europe, especially. Gripped in Roman Catholicism, the soil is like concrete. Seeds have been thrown out, but really not a lot of roots, not a lot of fruit from that. But it's a long-term work, and we just felt like we've had an opportunity to help the brackets with that. So 25 years ago, after getting his seminary degree, Chris moved to Krapina with uh, four other missionaries. One of them was a, a national Croatian, uh, Mishko Horvatek, who was who is now the pastor there. He's in his 80s. He's getting old. But they went and partnered with them to plant a church and then develop a training center. And the idea is, uh, with the training center philosophy, is to build up national pastors, not put in place American pastors that are supported by American money, to then try to get into the culture. You can learn a language. Uh, you can learn about the culture, but you'll never be a Croatian, and that's that was very clear with, with Chris after many years of realizing there's just there's a limit to what we can do. So building up national pastors and seeing them raise up really is the long term plan. But we're too we're fast food, you know, mentality. We want instant results. We want the numbers, and there's but there's no real long term investment in seeing the church. Thrive on its own. No churches that we're aware of, I just we just got aware of one this week, supports their pastors. There, even the even mishko Horvatek, who is he is a missionary because he is funded by American mission support. Because the church either can't afford or they don't have the conviction or they have this anti priest mentality because they see the corruption in the Catholic Church. And their attitude towards priests are suspicious, and so they, as soon as a, a pastor starts asking for money, then they just see him as the, the local priest who is corrupt and uh, tries to um, manipulate uh, the the attenders or the pe- patrons of the Catholic Church. So in- incredible hills to climb in terms of building ministry. But after 25 years, there's a faithful body of believers there. Um, At about 15 years ago, we started going, uh, the the four to six of us would go and work in a local language school, teaching English. And it really, that relationship opened doors to what we then have done for the last, uh, we did 11 English camps uh we took three years off because of covid so we just did this opportunity we had to go the the, two weeks ago was the 11th camp we've done which was just an amazing uh uh opportunity for the church of course we want to go with the truth we want to go with the gospel we want to see people believe we want to persuade them to to know christ and to know their need for christ but yet uh that's not. That's in the Lord's hands, right? We we uh, we sow, we water, but the Lord brings increase. I think our philosophy in going, which we've seen develop with our other missionaries, is first and foremost, it's relationships with the brackets, strengthening them, as Tim said, fellowshipping with them, counseling them, encouraging them through their struggles, trials as parents, trials in their marriages, and just having that type of relationship, and then that extending to the local church. How can we? edify and strengthen the church and then the the activity in the community really is designed to promote the local church because the attitude towards a evangelical or especially a baptist church it's a cult i mean there are rumors that that we sacrifice and eat children it's that bad and that's probably coming from the priest and and this church in crappen is really the only uh sound uh, church in the county that they're in so tremendous need to continue to raise up and plant churches um, but the opportunity we had to develop this English camp was really a way to just to bring awareness about this church in Crapina that has truth and that cares enough to do this type of ministry and that's what moved Chris bracket more than anything is that they had an opportunity to express love to the community through serving them. And it, so it, in a lot of ways, infiltrated a lot of families because of the children that were coming. But we started out probably with 60, 70 kids in the first camp, meeting at a small elementary school. And then, you know, in that 10th year, we were, uh, the Lord had opened the doors to allow us to serve in the high school, just one high school in the community, for free. And we'd have up to 200 kids in the camp. And these were generational. We had a young man that that we hadn't seen probably in in four or five years who wasn't able to come to the camp because a lot of these are now in college or on to their careers, but he came because he knew we were in town. And he made the comment that was so impactful. He just said, you know, you practically raised us because they were coming year after year. So we were seeing them as five, six-year-olds, and then by the time they were, you know, in high school – and then uh, each of these uh, campers, we call them, as they would get older and too old for the camp, they would then volunteer for us and be translators. And so, again, these weren't necessarily professing believers, but they were actively engaged in the ministries that we were doing. And so in first years, we, would, we were somewhat careful about the message because we weren't really sure. So the camp had a theme, always had a, a, a biblical theme. But we were just kind of subtle with how we would talk about it in our assemblies. Now, in personal conversations, we wanted to be very, uh, very clear in our message. Uh, but then as the Lord developed the camp, we were teaching music, which is what Kay and Catherine would do consistently. Uh, we would teach them, of course, Christian songs and um, with, with sign language. But we're teaching them the message of the gospel through the songs that relate to the theme of the camp. So every year had a... A theme. So it was just incredible to see the Lord open doors to how bold we could be to where basically if we if we practice altar calls, we would give an altar call every Sunday. But again, we, we just have our ways or trusting the Lord to encourage these young people to believe. And we just know that, the, that through that type of faithfulness that the Lord enables us to have that we just know we'll see fruit one day. And it may not be here. And we just have to, and we kind of were telling our young people, um, because expectations are hard to manage. You know, when you have those conversations, you know, what what it's expected of me as I try to lead someone to the Lord, and then what's expected of them. Our mentality here sometimes, again, we want to see that response. We want to see that decision. And yet that is in the Lord's hands. And so we, we you know, have not seen one decision or one baptism out of this camp. But we were so convinced over the years and so encouraged by the fact that the Lord was exalted and, and we just wanted to be faithful. And then the church was always encouraged, amazed at what the Lord was doing because they weren't having these opportunities. But for us to come in and, and with up to 200 students, all with families, all with younger siblings, older siblings in the community, the, the way the Lord was kind of spreading the seed and, and the opportunities we had, we know that it, it may be in, in glory, but we know the Lord is bringing the increase in some way. And and we trust Him because His word does not return void. Meaning, we don't see that as a promise that He will convert anyone we share the gospel with. It means that his work will be done. Either it will bring judgment or redemption. That's the, the work that the Word does in our own lives and as we minister. So we go in faithfulness. And, and so all that to say, the way the Lord developed our missions, because now we are spread out over how many families are we supporting now? Uh, up to eight? And so if you go to, you know, and this is not criticism. I grew up in the Baptist church, and I'm very thankful for how the Lord used the churches in my life. And I was always thankful to the commitment to missions. But the philosophy, you know, was not always perfect. It never is in any church. But it seemed like it was, you know, so a mile wide and an inch deep. So let's support 100 missionaries and give them $100 a month. You know, we have a $100,000 a year budget. But we're spreading it out over 100 missionaries. But there's no relationship. You don't know these missionaries. You may know where our missionaries are serving, but you don't know them. They don't have time to visit 100 churches that are supporting them. So our philosophy was we want to support a single family up to 10% of their budget so that they can, when they do come to the States on furlough or whatever to come raise support, then they're not having to visit 25 different churches. This is possible, and it's very hard on a family. But, you know, like with the Brackets, I think he has 10 to 12 faithful churches, and he's able to get to them any he can come home. Um, thankfully, he's from Rome, Georgia. Chris Brackett is, or uh, kind of north of there. So... When he would come visit his parents, both his parents have have deceased, you know, while they're on the field. Again, some of the trials and challenges that missionaries have to go through. Uh, Nita's parents have moved from California and are actually going to be living with them for a while. Um, But having coming here so often to see his parents, they just naturally had an affinity for the church. They became members of the church. Uh, So naturally they're coming here to, to, to now serve as a part of this church. Uh, which is again a tremendous blessing, um, but yeah, just so having three years off, we wondered would we ever have the opportunity to come back, timing that with chris 's you know decision to come home, uh, the Lord opened the door to go back after three summers off, and it was uh, really a challenge to know what to expect because you know we we lost maybe you know a part of a generation of kids that that either had moved on or weren't aware of the camp. So not surprisingly, we only had about 80 students at this one. But uh, again, it was, you know, in our minds, you know, how do you measure success? Uh, we, we try not to see success in a, in a material or physical way, but in a spiritual way. And it really comes down to was the Lord glorified in our ministry. Uh, And trusting Him to draw people to Himself. But with all that, the response, the reception, the gratitude, you know, and then the clarity on many occasions to share the gospel. We do an opening assembly, and then we break to activities. And through the activities, we're constantly, you know, taking opportunities to share the the truth. And then coming back and and, uh, closing at the end of the week, the camp's from 9 a.m. to 3, so it's long for our team, our volunteers. The weather was pretty good. It's usually as hot and humid as, as it is here, but, it's, but it's, we're indoors, outdoors. Uh, but at the end of the week, we do a big um, presentation for the parents. So the parents come at the end of the week, and we've taught them two songs that they demonstrate along with some other awards that we And then the the local pastor, Mishko Horvatek, comes and will share a message to the the adults, the families. Which, again, um, but we're always encouraged with his passion and burden for his people Um, and to see that they're probably hearing. A, a sermon a, a, a preacher that they never hear because they're typically if they go to church they're they're attending a mass and they're not hearing the word of God so to see him preach really is is a moving uh, experience because you just know the Lord is at work and he is the one that's orchestrated all this so so to kind of give, use that as a launch board to make sure some of you may be new and not really familiar with how uh, our missions efforts work or the opportunities we have. But typically most of our missionaries, we've gotten to know through the network at Master Seminary. And the, they are on uh, they work with an agency called Grace Ministries International, which is out of Grace Community Church. So the elders at Grace Community Church are over the missions. Uh, so each missionary is connected with Grace Community Church in California. Uh, out of that also, there's uh, there's a lot of acronyms, so hang, hang tight. You have TMAI, which is called the Master's Academy International, and this is kind of the governing body over the training centers that are developed. So missionaries will go to plant churches, but... In that, they want to develop training centers for, to train up young national pastors. And that takes time, but you need, you need to follow governing the rules in terms of the country, the accreditation uh, issues for a master's program that are required, and that's where TMAI comes in. And they develop the curriculum, and they help the, set up the structure for the training centers. And so Chris and Mishko are the deans of the school through the local church and so they've raised up you know in the 25 years there's probably more than 20 trained pastors out trying to serve and plant local churches it's a struggle it's hard to find traction and footing but but they're out there faithfully serving they're always bivocational because they're not supported on american funds and they can't be supported by the local church so it's always a challenge for these men to to survive uh, but we also, uh, with the network that we have, which the Montoya's in Honduras, the Gravino's in Italy, um, the, um, help me with, um, Joy. Choi in Southeast Asia, Dowdy in Mexico. Uh, each of these are missionaries that are, uh involved with very effective training centers in the in the local church uh then we have brad and gina shaw who have come here and again you know they they were we love the shaws and it was all about the relationship there and tim developed that relationship through uh, his substance abuse ministry and he went to peru many times to help minister to because there's a local um problem in in peru and and what what's the name of the town Kodawasi. Um, but that began our opportunity to develop that relationship with the Shaw's. Even though he wasn't developing a training center, we we wanted to guide him. We wanted to, to kind of leverage our philosophy to help him develop a more sound long-term ministry. And so we kind of tried to squeeze a round peg into a square hole or vice versa. But we still followed our principles of, of that the strong relationship with the missionaries not just a casual here's a hundred dollars and, and uh, we'll pray for you but being you know intimately connected we just had a team recently go down to peru to help him build a radio tower because he broadcast john macarthur uh translated sermons aren't they translated yeah um what he uses the stuff. Yeah, it's in Spanish. right yeah and, and they recently got a Somebody in California picked it up, and somebody in Iceland, so it's a wow. short-wave antenna they built versus a regular uh, deal. That's yes, had Kyle Jones and Eric Slender
0: <laughs> yeah. go down and help them build that. And they...
1: 20, March of twenty.
0: Jim Dowdy and I were in Peru uh, with that's right. Gabriel Martinez from the TMAI in Mexico City doing a kind of a mock seminary. That's right. So uh, we have started. Yeah, that's right. I, I did know that training center to some degree. There's, yeah, right. Um, and they actually uh, this this is really neat. So. Jim Dowdy's with the TMAI in Mexico, and Gabriel Martinez is the pastor of the church that Jim Dowdy was an elder in, and his testimony is very much like mine, you know, he was just in the work field, it was a, an addict himself, and he got saved, and then he went to the TMAI in Mexico City, and now he's a professor, his son, two of his sons have graduated from Master Seminary, and, and now one of them's re-enrolled there in the THM program, and his name is Jose Carlos, and he, uh, uh, Jose Carlos and his dad are now teaching. We were able to go live again two months ago, and they left yesterday to do the second module, so they're back doing live now. Um, There's a, a... generous donor in our church that is giving the money for that to all happen awesome and it's really neat because it um it comes through my ministry but jose carlos has a um wells fargo bank account so they just buy their stuff and they send me the receipt and i go deposit on Sixers row there's a well i mean it's really a neat, neat deal you know the bank the the tellers and the Wells Fargo, or all—they're like, "What are you doing, sending all this money to uh, to Mexico?" You know, well, it's really going to Peru, but it's yeah. going through Mexico. you yeah. uh, know, yeah. So, uh, just the testimony of all that, so, right? Yeah. You, know, you could just see the whole thing the way it's, the Lord has worked
1: that all together. Right. Well, just to report on the the camp this week, it's always a challenge um, when you take anywhere from fifteen to twenty-five volunteers there's always team dynamics um challenges that you're going to face um it's hard to travel you know 15 hours get adjusted and then hit the ground running um so you know emotions and unexpected things and it's always been our motto that you go with no expectations because if you at some point are disappointed about anything that happened then you, you had the wrong expectations So instead of trying to figure out what should I expect, just have none. Just don't have any. Uh, Be flexible. Be ready and prepared. Um, But just go, obviously, with the mindset of Christ, wanting to serve, you know, not only who we're there to serve, but even one another. You know, they know us. You know, Jesus says, they'll know you by your love. They'll know you're my disciples. So we want to demonstrate that at all level. And this year, we appreciate your prayers because we... Just had a great time with the team. We had six first-time people. Typically, when we would build a team, we would always say, you, it's a minimum two-year commitment. Now, of course, we didn't have them sign anything to that because the Lord providentially controls that. But you really need two years to, to, to figure out what you're doing because that first week, it's so much activity and, and, and so much uh, in, involvement emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, that the week's over before you know it. Monday, Tuesday, you're like, Golly, this is I mean, this is these are long days. I am tired. I'm missing my bed. I'd like normal food. And the food's great in Croatia, in my opinion, but eating potatoes and bread. That's it. Amen. Yeah, it is. Um they'll serve slaw every now and you gotta eat that slaw up so that um you get that balanced diet, but um But six new people this year, but very mature group and and all did well and fulfilled their role, you know, really faithfully. Um, So, again, just seeing the activities, the ministry activities that we're able to do, again, whether we see fruit or not, it's just a a blessing to to see the opportunities, you know, things that we're doing there that we could never do here, sadly. We couldn't go into a local school and do an English camp with a Bible theme and preach the gospel clearly in this religious freedom country, you know so um, in that sense it's just overwhelming to see the Lord at work and knowing that he will you know it's another wave of the Reformation honestly that we need uh, because europe is is so hard um, but but again. Whether we go back or not is still up in the air. They certainly want us to come back. The church wants us to come back. It's a challenge to know who would lead that because Chris would put so much time and effort and logistics into housing 25 people in in a church that has about 60 people and um, uh, finding residents, arranging meals, signing up. Students, you know everything that goes into arranging. It's hard to think who could do that with him coming home. Uh, As as far as Chris's ministry and the brackets ministry, he'll he'll still be working with the Masters Academy International in their Europe uh, area over the academies. So he'll still be connected with the church in krapana and the training center, but he'll be stretched all over Europe, but still able. To, to serve as a missionary, and then of course, I think, uh, like I said, he'll be a tremendous blessing for us in helping uh, strengthen our missions ministry uh, as we go forward. Part of the blessing of being a, you know having the philosophy and the principles is generational fruit from the training of men that we've seen. So uh, with various, and I know it's probably true you know, certainly in Mexico with, with Jim Dowdy, Seeing generational fruit, men trained up. Uh, We're seeing it in Peru, um, in Honduras, Uh, but we in Croatia and Italy, which were really kind of our first um, uh, opportunities that we've seen. There have been men raised up from the training that we also still support. Um, Other than the brackets, we have um, Ivan and Arena Mustach. He was a young uh, student, very mature guy, married a, a young girl in the church, and so uh, had a lot of experience in the local church. And then he took a church uh, two hours t- or two and a half, three hours from Crappin and near the coast. And so he's a young pastor there. So um, Kay and I took the opportunity to go down and visit with them and suffer on the coast, the most beautiful coast in all the world. Uh, And and that's not my opinion. That's typically you'll see the Croatia Adriatic coastline is a top 10 uh, place to go in the world. Not like, you know, it's not destined. It's it's, you know, when you get used to going to Florida, it's everything's flat. You know, so you see no elevation at all. And then, you know, you have beaches that you can walk out in. Here, you're on a sea, and you got mountains coming right up to the to the edge of the coast. It's, it's the most incredible thing to look and see mountains as big as you'd see in the Rockies. And then you turn around, and there's this beautiful coastline. It's lined with 1,100 different islands. So you're looking out at these islands that are inhabited, but you have to ferry boat over to them. So if you ever get a chance, um, but I always say in the millennial, I'm sure we'll get a chance to visit all these wonderful places. So um, so. We went down to spend the weekend with them. got to see their worship service, and it was just a joy to see his maturity and see the Lord using that training center to to have an impact on the country because there are no faithful Bible churches in, in the, the, this part of the world. So seeing him develop that and the opportunity we had to, to meet some of the young men and leaders, he has two young men in his church that are going to tba theological biblical academy in Crapina. so he's sending students back for training and that's kind of the idea is as we equip and disciple you know equip these men to then uh, go and pastor and lead churches in their area um, just to note that there's also a young man in italy uh, in messina where the gravinos were um, the gravinos recently moved back to rome uh, because it, it' more of a strategic move for the uh, training center. But he was pastoring a church in Messina for probably seven, eight years. Well, he, when he left, the, a young man, one of the graduating students took over the church as a pastor, uh, w- which was a tremendous testimony of, of, of conversion testimony in his life. But to see him trained and now pastoring a church is really incredible. But again, he's supported. We support them uh, Sebastian and Mercia Menendez. Yeah. Um, because they, the local churches can't support them. So, uh, it, which is just a sign of maturity in the local church and hopefully, but you know, again, the economy's rough in these, in these areas of the world as well. So I don't know if they really could afford, um, any other thoughts, comments from you guys again, reconnecting with some of the volunteers and the older kids in the group that are uh, just so impacted by the love we're able to share, uh, we have a local atheist that comes every year. Um, he, it's really an amazing situation. His name is Sin- Sinisha, but he um, he we got to know him from the English school where we kind of started the camp. So he volunteered to help serve and translate, but he was very clear about what he believes. Um, but he's interesting, he's in defense technology, working for the government in, in Croatia. So he's kind of got this high-level knowledge, um, but he loves Israel. I mean, he is an advocate for the nation-state of Israel. He has the Star of David. He, I mean, it's really an interesting, but he's an atheist. He's an evolutionist. And we've just confronted him with truth, but yet... There was a time he was antagonistic early on where Christian said, look, you know, you're here because we're allowing you to be here. If you are trying to antagonize these young people, you're out of here. And he didn't want that to happen. So he's really been a good friend. And he just considers us a close friend. But I, I can't tell you how many times I've called him to repentance. I just got to that point. You just need to repent and believe and accept the fact that you're a sinner whether you think there's a God or not, you need to repent and believe. Uh, and he would laugh it off. But again, you just hope the Lord somehow, some way, has allowed the the care that we've taken to cultivate these hearts to allow for the seeds. Because uh, he's he's going through some personal hardships, and those are the things that the Lord uses in our lives. Where the seeds that are there, and and the people that have influenced him, hopefully he'll. You know, I've always been burdened with my personal ministry and our family ministry that as we relate with family or friends, unbelieving family, unbelieving friends, uh, unbelieving neighbors, that we don't think the only method that we can try to evangelize is just to hit them and confront them or share a track with them or sit down with them with a four-point presentation. You've got to associate with them. Paul says, associate with the unbeliever. And that means inti- intimately be connected with them and, and uh, build trusting relationships so that when trials come into their lives, when they think of you, they don't say, well, that's the last person I would talk to because he's judgmental. He, you know, he, he says he believes these things, but he really doesn't care about me. And I just think we have to build long-term caring relationships, even with unbelievers, so that when they walk through those trials... <laughs> When we come to their mind, they're like, he's who I need to talk to. She's who I need to talk to. Because not only do they have a wisdom about these things and a knowledge about these things, but they care. They care. And that's the character of Christ in us. So in I wanted to open it up for questions. Like I said, I, I knew I would not have a problem filling in 45 minutes. But um, I, I read this passage to our team on Sunday before we got started because it really... You see the teachings of Christ played out in the epistles on several occasions. Matthew 18, you see in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul fleshing out church discipline. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 5, to me, you see the Great Commission played out, what Christ taught on the Great Commission. Paul just brings the implication to a practical level of how we have to view ourselves because you don't have to go on a two-week, one-week trip to Croatia to fulfill the responsibility that we have to be a witness, to testify, to to evangelize, to share the good news. So sometimes you get that mindset. Well, if I could only do this or go there, then I would be faithful. When providentially the Lord has you where you are and calls you to faithfulness there. And so no, but maybe it's we we aren't satisfied with how active we are in ministry because we have the wrong view of what evangelism is because we think it's sitting down and confronting somebody with their lifestyle and wanting to see them conform to going to church or to stop these worldly activities to then be like we are that's not the gospel and so uh, we may need to th- rethink what evangelism is so that we can be satisfied with our responsibility. Of what of of the great commission, so Paul uh, lays it out in second Corinthians five The first ten verses, of course, I would encourage you to read, but basically Paul's putting our perspective in place that look we 're here temporarily, we, we are in these tents, and we moan and we groan and we suffer, longing to be clothed with immortality, to be in our permanent building, which was built by God himself. Therefore, be of good courage, he says twice, meaning be encouraged. Or another way to put it is you, there is not a single reason in this life that you should ever be discouraged. Never. If you know the truth about our future and about the kingdom of Christ, because that is our only hope. That is the only expectation we need to have. Is that Christ is returning, and, and until then, He will provide sufficiently by His grace all that we need for life and godliness, and give us the ability to spread the word. And so, Paul is setting that up, and and says, you know, uh, that our greatest ambition is just to please God, worship Him, and then know that there is judgment. He says in verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Therefore, now let me read the, 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 the final uh, ten verses in that chapter. And th- these are familiar verses to you. You've memorized some of these verses. You may not have known they're all in the same chapter, but there are several verses here that you'll recognize. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us. And this is Paul, you know, talking personally. So that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Meaning, we don't relate to people just in the material sense. We're concerned about their heart, their spiritual standing before God. So we don't... When we're relating with neighbors and we're relating with coworkers, we're not being affected by the material circumstances that either push us away or towards or uh, switch our motivations and are not controlled by the love of Christ, but the love of self or the love of men. So we see men spiritually spiritually. Um, Not according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation, meaning we call men to be reconciled to God, what which he says, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then here's 15 words I love. MacArthur does a message, verse 21 the, the I think he titles it the greatest 15 words in the, in the Scriptures. But it says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's as simple as that. Our life is in Christ. We've been reconciled to God. We have peace with God through Christ. Because of the Gospel, God placing the, the consequence, the wrath that comes from sin on Christ so that we might have his righteousness. And this is all we're appealing to men. Be reconciled to God. Uh, give your life to Christ. And, and we can do that anywhere and anytime in our lives. And providentially, it's what we have to believe, that God is purposing our lives for that very thing. It's his purpose to call men to be reconciled to himself through Christ. And he went to great efforts to do that. Wouldn't you say? Putting his own son on the cross, so we at the same time we 're a new creation, the oldest past, the new has come, so we now have been committed this word of reconciliation, so we do it with our children, our our spouses, with our neighbors, our, our extended family, uh, coworkers that this is the the purposes of why we do what we do. We may think that i 'm called to this profession i 'm called to this this responsibility as a parent or a husband or a wife but we're really called primarily to this word of reconciliation to call men to be reconciled to God because we're, we're his ambassadors any thoughts questions comments sorry to not leave at any time do y'all have any questions on the brackets on the missions work that we do uh, again very thankful for how the Lord has guided faith community uh, in these relationships. And it's just amazing now seeing the bakers who are kind of really our first missionaries that we've ever sent. You, you realize that. Uh, we've had the Nindinos here from Kenya be trained for four years and go back. And that was really an exciting experience. But to now see a young couple trained up through Expositor Seminary now be called to the mission field and where they're sending church, it, it's really a generational work the Lord's doing through faith community. So hopefully we'll see more young men and women called to mission field and thankful that Catherine's willing to go, um, and serve. I, you know, again, it's, she's in the Lord's hands. I, I, I dare say, I don't want her to go on the mission field long term, but she's tasted. It's just a great uh, use of, of time for any young person to, as we say, leverage their singleness to serve the Lord because, you know, as you get older, responsibilities overwhelm you and opportunities are missed and, and gone. So uh, be thinking, pretty, go ahead, Quentin. How active is your uh, opposition from the, is it the Roman Catholic or is it the Greek Orthodox? It is Roman Catholic. Now you do have that in that area. Serbia is Greek Orthodox. And Croatia is Roman Catholic. And then you have some Muslim uh, cultures in that Yugoslavia area Um, and we we learned a lot we did a walking tour with a lady we did some visiting and she exposed a lot about the war because it was really hard to know why are we we at war and who are we supporting and you know we funded the defense for Croatia uh, under Clinton and probably the right thing in light of what was going on over there but just not a lot of understanding of why so when you go over there for so many years you see the impact it was like a Vietnam effect a lot of post-traumatic stress, a lot of injured veterans, a lot of depression, suicide—really opened the door for, for, for counseling opportunities in the community. Um, but it, it, but the the war was not religiously motivated, basically to answer your question. But it is Roman Catholic, and we never faced direct opposition as a camp because I think that there, it was so accepted and had such a positive influence on the community that the priest wouldn't dare say anything against it. Uh, when we had the three years off, the principal of the school who is like one of the highest public figures in the County wrote a letter to Chris begging us to come back. And, and cause they, they had kind of were the deciding factor to coming back because of COVID. So even in 2022, when really we were kind of past all this, they still were protective of opening the school. But then he wrote a letter to Chris. Just speaks to, again, and he's been the principal for the 15 years we've been going. So um, he, he knows us well, knows Chris well. So again, as we go and then leave, we, we, we're leaving a good testimony for the church and for uh, Pastor Mishko and and the brackets. And that's where you hope they continue those relationships. And, and now we're seeing... Some young nationals raise up uh, to kind of replace the responsibilities that Chris had in the church. It's uh, so a really amazing Neil. Say what, 60 in that Roughly. It, what's, the, what's the makeup? Is it a, is it a young church or the older, or is it, what's kind of the... I would say um, a, a really a good spread. Um, an equal distribution. I would say you certainly had some older, um, but then you had several, you know, middle-aged families. And then the young people were more connected to the missionary families, but they did have some access, but not a lot of young people from the community. It was mainly the missionary kids, but you had some faithful families and adults that really were growing. And I think it's, it's concerning at one level because are we losing that generation? Because of humanism and secularism, they, they don't have any allegiance to the Roman Catholic Church, the younger generation. They see the corruption. They see the deception. Uh, they fight off the traditions of their parents because the parents are not committed to the Lord as much as they're committed to traditions. And then they're deceived in thinking that the, you know upholding compliance to those traditions is going to serve them well when they stand before the Lord one day, and that's the the evil behind it. But I would say the uh, the the urgency is the younger generation in that church. Yeah, that's a huge challenge, especially now with Chris leaving, because you got Mishko who's in his eighties. He has the passion he's always had. Uh, but he's certainly slowing down. And so with Chris, Yvonne going to the church in Zadar and Chris leaving is leaving a leadership vacuum of sorts, there are some local guys who are not elders, um, but there are, I think, at least one new family that's actually moving into the Brackets home that he's going to the school there, and he's mature Uh, seems to uh, have a faithful call to ministry. So that's a hopeful if if he develops into a leader. But there is a leadership vacuum there for sure um, and, and a concern. So any other questions?
0: In Zagreb, heard we were in town, and Marta drove two hours, and she actually came to the Wednesday night service.
1: Hopefully. A
0: little more latitude now, well, well that's what we're hoping. It's hard to their the culture is very much so like if you are Croatian, you are Catholic. And that's how their whole family sees it. And so even like through the conversations I had with the even college generation who's kind of coming back and they still love the camp, they see the holes, but if they're close with their family and they love their family, they have this kind of like I can't reject Catholicism because it's rejecting my family because they will. I mean, Chris was sharing of a a young man who's essentially been kicked out of his home because he's now.
1: He's a a young man that's a a potential leader. His name's David. But when you talk to him, he he basically, it's, you know, it's the call of the gospel. You hate your mother and father and brother and sister. And you don't want to have to do that, but he's had to make that commitment. Yeah, that's right. Based on their culture, Absolutely. That we don't, yeah, that's right. It's something we ought to consider. Yeah. Are, are we counting the cost at the same level? Uh, certainly, we, we deny ourselves in every way, and that is going to bring pain against our desires, our flesh, fleshly desires, but not not at the expense, I think, of some of these. Um, there's the, one of the early testimonies that we even saw this family this week faithful each one has been baptized in the time period we've been there Um, but the the oldest sibling there's five siblings one brother four and they were being somehow were coming to the church and one of them wanted to be baptized and the sunday she was going to be baptized her father locked her in the closet and would not come and he was a drunkard not a good man And so, so that was one of the first testimonies we heard from Chris. Just amazed, uh, you know, at that type of of control. But within weeks, maybe within months, maybe weeks, he has a a fatal accident on a scooter while he's drunk. So he's he's killed. Lord, Lord, you know, uh, called him. Uh, So that then began to open the door to this family and I think each sibling has been baptized and saved the mother still doesn't come because I think that generation's really difficult to reach but she is sees the amazing blessing that, that the Lord has brought through her children and even through what, whatever she may have been going through in the, in the marriage so again it's a sad situation but Well, thank you for the time. Tim, thank you for letting me share. And if you all have other questions, you're free to approach me. So do you want to close? Okay, all right.